Current Thing with me, Nick Dixon. We have another very, very special guest this week. Very excited. Unless you've been living in a cave for the last many years, you'll know him from the band Mumford & Sons, which he was in for 14 years. And now he has an excellent podcast called Marshall Matters. And we'll get into all of it. But firstly, of course, I'm talking about Winston Marshall. Thanks for doing the show, mate. Nick, it's a pleasure. And um, we've bumped into each other a lot around London. And so it's nice to sort of uh, I guess now we're working together. Is this count as work? We kind are of kind of. We have a loose colleagues. Yeah, yeah. And this will be the longest we've ever spoken. But we have spoken. <laughs> it already has been. <laughs> yeah. No. We've, we've probably done 10 minutes once. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But we, you know, we're all very busy. You probably more than me. But, you know. Yeah. And, then, and of course, the audience will know. Our listeners will know. We don't want to dwell on it too much. You had this whole thing. You were in a, a massively famous band. It happens to the best of us. And then you were cancelled because you accidentally read a book. And basically you, you said that Andy Noe's book was brave and important. And this was enough to get you totally cancelled. And yet you decided to leave the band. And you've talked about it on so many podcasts that I don't want to dwell on it maybe too much. But I just wanted to check, was there anything you like regretted about that time? Because people always think when you, when you, you get cancelled, it always seems like, oh, yeah, I guess that was obviously going to happen. But you actually never know the thing that's going to get you cancelled. You just like this book you didn't think anything of it and it ended up just you know making you have to leave your band but is there anything that you sort of look back on now and think oh i wish i was just still doing music or had an easier life or anything like that uh well i should correct i mean you, you said i accidentally read a book uh i don't think anyone can accidentally read a book well it was a joke uh, but uh <laughs> yeah I, I what i did was through the pandemic i was on my social media amongst other things writing about and posting about the books i was reading um, which was, I was finally catching up and, and uh, on, on all the literature I had I'd been piling up at home uh, in the pandemic. It was a, a good use of time. And one of the books uh, was Andy Noe's conservative, American conservative journalist uh, book called Unmasked about the uh, far left extremism in the United States, contemporary far left extremism in the United States and the BLM uh, riots uh, in which 90 people, 19 people were killed in the first 14 days and uh, many businesses destroyed, um, you know the story. And um, I actually didn't have very many Twitter followers. So yeah, you're, it's a, I remember thinking afterward, oh, oh, so, and then what happened, sorry, I should say, is that it, it just blew up, went up all the trending uh, charts and on on Twitter and became a story in the newspapers by you know that that same weekend and a segment on The View and Tucker Carlson and it just it completely blew up and um, I mean I, I think I had about 3,000 followers on Twitter so just just for con for like to understand how unbelievable it was that it happened and uh, but certainly being at the centre of it, it felt, it felt it was massive for me at the centre, even if it didn't appear so on the outside. And um, you, the, so to your question, like, do, you know, isn't it, wasn't it obvious? And I guess there are a few topics that this happens to people on. Uh, for example, tra trans, the trans issue. We've seen this with high profile people like J.K. Rowling, but you see it uh, just recently. Uh, Christian Henson, who's the CEO of Spitfire, founded that company as a music um, uh, production company in London, or it's international actually, and he's just resigned because he tweeted about uh, in, in support of women and, and with concern to, uh, uh, to, I think it was reference to GIDS and, and the Tavistock 
um, uh, but he was forced to resign. Uh, the, the, the keyboard player in um, Elbow uh, tweeted about trans and had all his social media swiped. I think he's a guy called Craig Potter. So it happens in trans, and, and there's plenty of other examples in wider society, uh, as well as in music on the trans issue, which uh, whether it's Alison Bailey or Maya Forstater, and uh, you, you know you know the names, and and um, uh, the, uh, the, in music industry as well, another thing that got people in trouble was was questioning vaccines. That was another one of those taboo topics, and uh, Antifa happened to be the. Now, with hindsight, I can see that that's one of those hot button issues that you are going to get into trouble if you discuss. It's a taboo topic now. But at the time, I would say I couldn't have. I don't think I could have. I certainly couldn't have imagined what 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 happened then. And um, I mean, part of part. I remember feeling afterwards like maybe I oh I should have known better. Like I should never have gone into this type of topic. I should have you know avoided it. Um, although I don't think that's any way to live a life. I think you should say and speak and write about the things that are important to you. Certainly, if you're an artist, you should certainly speak and write about those things. And, um, it's, and particularly if you're someone who cares about injustice and you, and you see injustice, you've you got you to call it out. So um, uh, I, I, I didn't think that much of it, and it blew up. And uh, long story short, I eventually quit the band uh, because of it. Um, and... Um, now, that was two years ago, and troubling and difficult as that was, and my career and my life has gone a completely different direction since, now, now that I'm sort of rebuilding it, and uh, I'm, very, I'm very much enjoying the work I'm doing, like I've uh, got a podcast with The Spectator. This morning I interviewed um, Eva Villar Dingersbroek about, uh, D- about the... Dutch farmers, and, and um, tomorrow I'm interviewing Louise Perry about her book on feminism, and, and I'm in the world of ideas now, and I love that. I, I find it really enjoyable. I love uh, the, the, you know, studying all this stuff and, and getting to um, interview and meet these uh, fascinating and, and brilliant uh, minds. So I'm happy about that thing. The music side of thing, which I, I, you know, I still have, I play music every day, uh, whether I'm sat at the piano or in the studio, or uh, playing a guitar, and I've got a lot of songs. Uh, what what I found initially, after I quit the band, is I I still wanted to do music, and after a while, I felt like there was too many doors closed, and I found it frustrating. So I started walking through the doors that were open, which which led me to the Spectator, and. Um, and I have various other business enterprises, but I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to spend my life just banging my head against closed doors. Now it's still a bit frustrating. I'd like to get to a point where I'm playing more music, and I am indeed playing more music. I did a solo US run, just me and a guitar, in November last year, and I'm heading out to Austin to play a show um, next month. Uh, so I'm still playing music, which is which is great, just not perhaps as much as I wish I, I, I was. And, and so, so I, I'll get there. I, I'm not, I haven't, I've certainly not given up on it. I can't give up on music. It's, it's part of my life. Yeah. So it's a couple of things I, I thought of when you, when you were speaking there. One is that it's funny when people get cancelled, there's always a certain mob 
that pretends that they haven't been. And I actually found a tweet, because I tweeted about your thing at the time and that brilliant article you wrote about it, but I couldn't find that. But I did find about a year later, maybe, you in the Sunday Times and this strange person, Otto English, who pops up on Twitter, had written, um, former Mumford & Sons banjo player Winston Marshall takes time off from his Spectator podcast to explain how he's been cancelled over three pages of Britain's best-selling Sunday broadsheet. So the idea is, you haven't really been cancelled, you can still eat food. So I replied, he was forced to leave a massively successful band that was his whole life because he read a book, but yeah, it's all fine because he's in the papers. Which is something that's always bothered me, is like, but you are. But what you're doing now is cool and it is fun, as you said. But what always annoys. Well, no, that's me. interesting. Let's let's ta- let's 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 talk about that because I think it seems to be one of the. What, there's one of the raging debates is like, oh, if, you know, like if you're cancelled, how come you're actually doing all this talking? And I and I must assume if I'm going to do a good faith interpretation of that person, whoever it was, that that they, they for them, cancel means not having a voice, like not being able to speak. But it doesn't, so that, that misses the whole point. So uh, it, the, the point, as you've rightly pointed out, is I had to give up a very well-paying job that was a passion, that was my life's work, was a, was, was a business I'd built up since I was a teenager. And I could have kept it, but I would have not allowed to be able to talk. I, had to, I would have to lie and go along with the lie that far-left extremism was a good thing. And... I'd, I decided actually I'd rather stick to the truth. And I remember before I quit the band, by the way, thing like, okay, well, I'll quit the band. The irony here is that I'm going to, uh, I'm, I'm in a position where I've got a microphone, but I can't use it to be use the metaphor. But in and, and quitting the band, I'll lose the microphone, microphone, but at least I'll be able to speak my mind. So I can now say whatever I want. But the, the point being is, it's not like your whole life is completely, you're completely sent to the gulag. It's that part of your lives are, are destroyed and, and for me that was my my a lot of my uh, work I done in music um, but yeah he's there's a point that that ironically now I've got a bigger voice than I had before no one gave a damn of before and now as as he points out I've got a, a podcast and and um, and I do uh, uh, a lot of media yeah but you're saying you know if you take them in good good faith I find these people disingenuous you know the idea that he hasn't been cancelled he's still allowed to make a living it's like yes i mean it's not it doesn't mean you literally die necessarily anything short of death for these people is like oh they haven't really been cancelled you know it's like i do a podcast with toby young he lost five public positions i mean that's that's pretty cancelled you know it's like they they always say you haven't been cancelled i think it's fair to say you were cancelled but that's what we mean by it they seem to think it's okay because you're still allowed to breathe and and have a spectator podcast it's not okay though even though the work you're doing is great it's still not okay is it well, there's another irony is that there's people like that who also gleefully, uh, you know, and sadistically uh, claim to be happy that they, they got me cancelled, you know, and, uh, and I've, I've certainly seen people write that, such things as that. So, uh, yeah, I guess in the, it's, it's not, I, don't think, I don't see a coherence in that, in, that, in that logic whatsoever. No, neither do I. And the other thing you touched on there when you said a lot of doors have closed had closed in music, and so you, you went in, you went where the where the, where you wanted basically. And I found on a much more minor level the same thing in comedy. So I've been through a very very minor version of, of your trajectory as well. Being in an industry, you just want to be a comedian, like you wanted to be a musician, and then mm. they go, well, you can't have this because of your immutable characteristics, or in your case because of something you said. And then I also said some stuff, but by then it was already I was already kind of down that path. But 
Um, and it, so we're in this strange position. You've talked about it on a few podcasts, and you've said that as a sort of semi-joke but semi-truth, you said in 2015, none of the questions you got asked in interviews were about politics. In 2018, none of them were about music. And that, mm. that, that is exactly what's happened. I mean, we've, we've ended up... I talked to Lawrence about this on his show. We kind of ended up in this weird thing where we just wanted to be artists more broadly, whatever you, word you want to use. I always find like artists a bit pretentious if you're a comedian. You were definitely an artist. I was a comedian. And that's what we wanted to do. But now we're stuck in this other thing because we almost can't have art anymore. And we always, and if we do, we have to, it either has to be woke or it has to be tacitly woke by saying nothing, or it has to be the opposite, which is what we're sort of in now. And there, and we don't have the funding necessarily, and we maybe don't have the budgets and the connections. So, you know, if I watch something like Succession, which I rewatched because it's coming back, and I rewatched all of it, and it's incredibly brilliant. But then if I watch interviews with them, I'm, I know I'm going to have to put up with sort of woke nonsense, even if the show itself is smarter than that. Or, you know, if I know if I watch a film, it's, it's, I, don't, I don't trust modern films. I go back to the 90s ones. Basically, the industry has been captured by the ideology. So everything else, we're in this, we're, we're ghettoized. So we can't just have art for everyone anymore. You see what I mean? So is that something you think about? Uh, I certainly uh, have seen it behind the scenes in, in how they're hiring people for various um, uh, um, jobs and, and sort of diversity quotas. And uh, I, I do suspect that that it doesn't. There's 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 glimmers of hope that that stuff. If you look at let's say Netflix for example, they do put on comedians who like Dave Chappelle for example. Now Dave Chappelle might be cancelled in real life for example when when he was booked to play First Avenue in Minneapolis, Prince's venue from the Purple Rain uh, music video. But then the venue uh, nixed him because uh, they they claimed he was transphobic. Um, it, it, but but on Netflix he he still has a platform. So I, I or, or rather he can still get the the R out. So I, I I do I don't see it as a total stranglehold. I also think it's different in different industries in different um, sectors. So as far as I understand the theatre industry, it's marked and guarded by these um, uh, gatekeepers. Uh, who who uh, are very much dictate what can be written, uh, uh, who can perform it, and um, it's it seems to be that that's the worst of all the industries. And Andrew Doyle has spoken about that, and, and it's something that he, as a playwright, he's very experienced in. Uh, so he'd be a good person to uh, speak to there. When it comes to TV and and uh, my friends, I've I know friends who who get offered job by merit and competence, and then get called up later uh, and told sorry actually we need to fill diversity quotas you're 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 out um and in the music industry the phenomenon is that well it, it's a very small industry and you can sort of speak but there are, it's it's sort of halfway between total freedom and, and gatekeepers because there's there's you know there's festivals there's radio like for example when i did my tweet, a couple of radio stations said they wouldn't play the band again. And one festival dropped me from the lineup. So, and festivals and, and uh, radios uh, play a big, big part in that. Actually, there's an example with MIA, the, the Sri Lankan British artist, uh, only, only this year, she was um, offered to play a festival in at London's Field Day Fest, uh, in Victoria Park. And had her offer rescinded by the festival because of her quote online opinions now i dug into it the only the uh, online opinions were to do with vaccines and her concern 
Um, now, look, vaccines as a topic, whether you're, you were for or against them, it's, it was a distressing issue for everyone. But the, they, the, the festivals just deemed that it would be bad for their shareholders, uh, sorry, their stakeholders, note the choice of word there, by the way, because that's straight out of the um, WEF playbook. Uh, and, but that's another topic. And, uh, and they decided it would be bad for their festival attendees that she would play as if her music had anything to do with the politics. Here's another thing that, that I find frustrating is that certainly in the music industry, there's a sort of desire for uh, artists to be, you know, uh, anti-establishment or, or uh, you know, fight the man. But then when it, whenever they do fight the man, they get mocked and they, they're not doing it in the right way. Look at what's happened to Russell Brand. Isn't it a perfect example of it? Uh, sorry, someone's rung my front door. Um, uh, so uh, I've lost my trail of thought a little bit now. That's, uh, no worries. Uh, your door's gone off. You were just talking about Russell Brand and how the, how he's he's got the wrong kind of iconoclasm now. Yeah, and so now the press come after him, and and, and the media come after him. He's he's got the wrong wrong opinions because because he's actually espousing traditional leftist anti-establishment opinions, but that doesn't chime correctly with you know whatever the the the, um, the popular narrative in 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 the creative industries uh so i i forget your original question i'm so sorry um, no it was quite broad it was more of an original monologue it was no it was because it was, i was it was very broad it and I, you're right about mia i like her because she's like yeah she's pro julian assange she asks questions about the vaccine and this is what i want from an artist just to be open different ideas you know don't have to have a coherent ideology necessarily but now like you say it has to be this this one view, it's not anti-establishment because certain views have become the establishment, all very weird. And you mentioned in the theatre, another example is Hollywood where you had Friends of Abe. Do you know about Friends of Abe? I mean, how weird is no. this? It was sort of conservatives in Hollywood, people like Jeremy Boring, who later founded the Daily Wire, but they had to be like in this secret speakeasy that they were conservatives in Hollywood. I mean, how weird is that when you think about it? Sorry to interrupt this conversation with the wonderful Winston, but we have a quick word from our sponsor, Thor Holt. Now, Thor has given me permission to just speak from the heart on this one, so that's what I'm going to do. Thor is not very big on job descriptions, but he's a kind of business-slash-life coach. He can help you get sponsors for your podcast, for example, which he's done for me on this podcast and my other one. And he can help you with business strategies, work presentations, all kinds of things. There's nothing Thor can't do. He understands business, especially these kind of solo businesses that we're trying to put together and he's also on our side in this whole culture war some people don't want to call it a culture war as we found on this podcast but i do and he's very much on our side there are sides he's on ours and you can contact him linkedin.com slash in slash thorholt t-h-o-r-h-o-l-t or thorholt.substack.com or you can probably find him on twitter which is where i actually first uh, spoke to him i think at thorholt t-h-o-r-h-o-l-t and I recommend getting in touch with Thor for any number of things. If you have a podcast, if you have a Substack, if you have a business, if you're trying to do a salary negotiation, if you have a presentation coming up, he basically does everything. So once again, linkedin.com slash in slash Thorholt, thorholt.substack.com. And I'm sure you won't regret getting in touch with Thor. Now back to the show. Wow. And what was your experience getting mobbed? Well, mine was very, very minor, because if I say I was cancelled, Toby gets annoyed and says, I thought you were quite cancelled, Nick. It was mini cancellation at best, because he lost five public positions. My counter to him was Toby, but I had so little in the first place. Is it worse if the king loses the throne or if a, a beggar loses his one sandwich, you know, which was me? 
So I had nothing anyway. But I was, um, I called it a pile on other people called it cancelled for a shorthand. But all I did was um, do a little tweet about, talk about not knowing the thing that's going to get you cancelled. I did a tweet about, oh, someone had, uh, said I couldn't do a gig because I was a, a straight white man, basically. And, uh, and I just tweeted and I got the information of what they'd said. And so I took all identifying information out of it so no one could attack them and just tweeted it and said, I'd, I dream of a day when one day I'll be judged by the content of my character or at least the content of my content. And I thought this will get 39 likes, which I think is what it got. But then unfortunately the Daily Exp- not the Exp- yeah, the Express picked it up and the Telegraph and then the Jeremy Vine show where Jeff Norcott was on there defending me. It kind of escalated. Well, not to be disingenuous, I did then say that the Express asked me about it and I foolishly said some stuff. But even that was ignored. But then Chortle, this kind of slightly vindictive, I sometimes think, uh, comedy website covered it, which then was like red meat for all the low-level comedy scum and the high-level comedy scum. There's people like Jason Manford attacked me, Richard Herring, lower down, open mic, people you've never heard of. And they all just piled on. And my argument was simply, what if we book people according to merit? You were talking about quotas. What if we just booked based on merit, you know, because we're individual artists, completely based on merit. It would be foolish to say... Scott Capuro and Andrew Doyle are the same because they're gay. You've just booked them as two separate people. What if we just did that? That's how it works in sport. That's how it works in other things. Why can't we just have the best people, whoever they are? And that's what was, mm. that's my whole position, which sort of old-fashioned liberal position. But um, you know, it, I but because I imply that if you're a, a straight white man, you well, I showed an example of me not getting a gig. That was it. And the hilarious thing was it had happened to a woman. Uh, in comedy and she got signed with the biggest agent in comedy because someone said we don't want to book a woman because we've got too many whereas I released I was the victim but suddenly I was evil hang on a sec a woman a different story a different story just uh, as a the, parallel it was, got given to, it got given to a wo- another a woman a female comedian just as, in a parallel story sorry yeah, I wasn't clear um, didn't get a gig offer because they already had a woman on the bill and she shared this information and it was massive uproar and she actually managed to sort of build a career off the back of it whereas I had the same experience as a, as a straight white man saying they wouldn't book me because of that and I was attacked as the enemy just for saying it uh-huh. yeah yeah it's funny now that if you quote Martin Luther King you get uh, accused of racism <laughs> I, I've certainly cited Martin Luther King um, in, in some of my at least one of my articles and you get attacked like it's no it's no that's no longer acceptable to be it's not longer acceptable to be a liberal you have to be a progressive and uh, i guess uh, he wasn't progressive enough what's happened with that because because the whole reason you got in trouble was a book about the dangers of antifa and i notice now if i speak to people in north london who are sort of the the normies of north london so they'll have like very like government jobs or whatever and I speak to them and they're quite normal. They're explaining things like liability driven investments and they're very smart and technical and, and, and they seem normal and they seem like they would be centrist. But then they get onto things like this. If you criticize Antifa, they get angry or they call the current, current Tory government fascist or far right, which is so ludicrous. And you just think, how has it happened that sort of a, a normal sort of middle class person in this country that would have been a centrist now has such far left rhetoric? Yeah, that's a good question. I saw this also with um, it's it's a it's a word manipulation, and, and uh, I noticed this recently with on the trans issue where I think it's something that Billy Bragg had tweeted about, uh, saying instead of calling women's rights activists a woman's rights activist, that he calls them an anti-trans activist, which is completely not what they are. Uh, the, the 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 problem with the trans issue is that the 
trans rights and women's rights don't fit neatly together. So if you want to have an honest conversation about that, you've got to acknowledge that both want the best things instead of vilifying. And to call someone anti-trans is, is to vilify. But what that has that effect has on, on, let's say, normal people who don't follow this stuff in detail is they just see the headlines in, in whatever newspaper they read or on the Beeb or whatever it is. And they don't have time to get into the nuances. So actually playing the word game is a very effective way of winning, uh, uh, winning popularity for an opinion, even if it's a wrong opinion. Uh, not necessarily winning the, the debate, but certainly winning um, uh, popularity for it. So uh, Antifa is a, a classic um, version of that. Now, Antifa is a bit more complicated as an issue because contemporary Antifa is very different to Antifa in 1970s Italy or 1960s Britain or 1930s Germany. All of those things are very different phenomenon. Um, but uh, it's certainly in contemporary America, which is where predominantly it is, and it still exists in Italy, I think. Um, well, it exists around the world, but ma mainly in, in America. Um, it's, a, it's a very effective wordplay because you just go, oh, wait, you're against Antifa. That means you, you must be pro-far. No, actually, you can be against fascism and against the hooligans who are Antifa. Um, uh, but I think for most people, now, why people think the Tories are fascist, that's a whole other uh, conversation. And I think, you know, that's tied into anything that's right or far left these days will be deemed hard right, far right, fascist. It's just, it's, wor it's word games to try and win arguments instead of engaging in the topic. What really bothers me about it, the reason that was in my mind is, maybe I shouldn't say, I can say this, they won't listen. I'm in a sort of f football group for my five-a-side football, and they'll just give their opinions politically all the time, and they're all the same opinion, and it's all like the Tories are far-right and this and that, and they, Gary Lineker's a hero, whereas I wrote a 1,300-word piece attacking Gary Lineker. That was a really funny, brilliant piece for the Daily Skeptic, and I was so tempted to just drop it on the group, and like, boo, Nicker's left the group. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't in the end because we have to be silent and, and it's the same with the building I live in they have a group it's meant to be about bin maintenance suddenly it's calling the government far right and all isn't it crazy that we have to kind of I'm saying we because sadly you're sort of in some group with me now which must be gutting yeah well don't assume what I think no <laughs> no, no but, exactly because you're not think, you're not silenced right but this is what will happen and this is an experience that I happened that I I I knew uh, from being in the and still am in those sort of circles is they all say that stuff you don't say anything but if you come in with a different opinion even if you come in agreeably and in a nice way you're not the guy who's a different opinion you're the guy who brought up politics yes. you weren't even the guy disagreeing you're the guy oh why is he <laughs> why is he all political why is, when they were the ones who brought it up but. But for them, they won't even see it because they're not, they're not necessarily thinking about it. Now, some of them maybe do actually think deeply about it. It's, let's be fair to them. It's, it's possible that they're, they're, they're strongly held opinions for some of them. But I think for most people, you'll just seem like the guy who's obsessed with politics when actually you care just as much as them. Uh, it just so happens you have a different opinion. Yes, because they're, sort of, they're just sort of fish swimming in the water. They don't realize the water's there. They're just, their opinion is so accepted that they, there's no pushback. So they think it's not even politics. I mean... There was, it was an example in my building group where someone mentioned Trump in a sort of semi-positive way. And they'd, they'd been using phrases like this Tory government is far right and these quite outrageous political statements. Someone mentioned Trump. They immediately said, um, this is not a political group. You might have to leave the group. 
exactly what you said because they brought mm-hmm. us like, well, what is calling the government far right if not a political statement? So yeah, yeah, it's exactly what you said. I have, I'm in a Man United uh, group with a bunch of uh, very sweet uh, reverends and cock of the uh, north. I'm united as well. Yeah, cock of the north, and and um, there's like long established no politics rule. <laughs> <laughs> but there's one guy when Elon Musk when it was when there was a rumor that Elon Musk because I think he tweeted about it was going to buy United so one of the guys <laughs> guys went absolutely bananas about it <laughs> and obviously we have to keep we, we're not allowed to talk about politics right. <laughs> but that, that's okay you can talk about Elon Musk it's you know it's uh, painted as Elon Musk you know uh, not allowing you know, the 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 bad guy uh, allow you know spaceship man bad yeah you know, spaceship man bad now and uh, anyway it's but again best just keeps you dumb yeah we could have done a whole podcast on Eric Ten Hag I didn't realize um, but you said there don't assume what I think and you were like bro back off and um, I was going to ask you about that because because uh, you said you know you said that you're not necessarily you said the anti woke can be as bad as the woke I don't know if they're quite as bad but that was one of my questions. Where would you stand? And you said, let me see, you said here, when forced to politically label myself, I flutter between centrist, liberal, or bit of this, bit of that. Which, is that where you still are? You're, you're not particularly any label? Uh, yeah. I, Labelling is a bloody nightmare. I don't think anyone is really... I mean, very few people are, like, really definitively in one spot. Like, how can you be... Even the parties are, the political parties are inconsistent. The, 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 look at the Labour, uh, Labour Party, as well as having a broad range of uh, economic opinions, you have uh, Rosie Duffield bullied out for uh, sticking up for women's rights. And, and at the same time, uh, Keir Starmer is unable to define what a woman is. And, uh, and uh, likewise, you know, the Tories have their equivalent issues and, and, and spectrums. And I think when you, for most people, they might, they might be center-left on economy, center-right on, on culture, and it, it's ever-changing. Like, Brexit tore up the parties, the trans stuff tore up the parties, COVID tore up the parties. Uh, when I mean parties, I mean, it's the, the, if, if there's any way you can really lump anyone, it's just whatever the issue, you, if you're thinking about it critically, you can't... Uh, you don't know where you'll end up on the, on the topic. And I think, I think, so I think to... I stand by that, that uh, that I'm, it depends on the topic where I am. How can I, you can't possibly have one definitive position that lumps all of these uh, different and infinite different, uh, you know, uh, topics together. Is there any party you would vote for? Well, I'm the only party I'm a member of is the SDP. Um, so that probably reveals a bit of my politics. Um, Although I, st- I actually disagree with them on a fair amount. Like, uh, they consider themselves post-liberal, which I, I, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that because I still consider myself liberal, um, classical liberal. Uh, but they're sort of centre-left on um, economics and centre-right on uh, culture. So I, I, of all the parties, I'm closest. I feel most at home with them. But um, we're, who knows? how that might change in the next couple of years. What about you? I liked them. And then I, they said something around COVID, around vaccines or masks that I didn't like. Rod Little was quite associated with them. And he said a very rapidly pro-mask piece. He's since changed his mind. And they said something else along those lines. I've forgotten now, but I just remember going, oh, now you've, you, I've put you in the bin, which is a bit, perhaps a bit harsh. But yeah, they, I, I, I'm open to, to them. I'm, yeah, I'm stuck. I don't know. 
I mean, I'm sp- speaking to someone from Reform UK on this podcast soon. I'm kind of, what? who would I vote for? It, I, I've actually never voted Conservative, which really probably surprises people. <laughs> you know, I used to be just a Lib Dem, like a lot of people in the day, you know, in the 90s or something. You could just be, or well, not even the 90s, but whenever. You could be a Lib Dem until about 10 minutes ago. Then they went off the rails. Once they started They saying, went off the rails at Brexit. Yeah. I was a Lib Dem. I was brought up canvassing for the Lib Dems in, in Mortlake, where I'm from. And, and um, it was sort of... A family party. My dad actually ran uh, for the Lib Dems, although they didn't win the seat back in ninety in eighty seven with the SCP Alliance. And um, yeah, he was involved with that Orange Book, which was quite a big thing at the time. He was the editor of the Orange Book, yeah. And then, uh, so I actually pretty much always voted Lib Dem um, until uh, Brexit, where I became politically homeless because they got it. Their attitude to Brexit was neither, in my opinion, liberal nor democratic, and that they couldn't accept. I didn't vote for Brexit, but that the, the, they could not accept the democratic uh, a, a decision of the country was an abomination. And in fact, I find it absolutely embarrassing when any politician doesn't accept the de- democracy of, of Brexit. And, and um, it's, it's still even Sadiq Khan keeps banging on about it. It's like... If you cannot call yourself a Democrat and be and be against a Brexit like this. Yeah, even Starmer's realised it's not the brightest idea. I know they went they went off the rails with Trump as well. For me, Vince Cable was saying things like Trump shouldn't be allowed to visit and things like this, and it was it was all very silly. Then they had Joe Swinton. They just went far left, and and I used to like Tim Farron because he was my local MP back home, and then he was leader, hounded out for being a Christian. But he says some mad stuff now as well. To me, they've gone off the rails. Maybe I've gone in a different direction. I'm not, I don't know if they went far left, but maybe I don't know the topic as well as you. Well, they went they sort went of woke with, they went with Swinson. Classic progressive. Yeah. They, like, you know, uh, cringe progressive. Yeah, yeah, cringe progressive <laughs> mental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe I've gone, I have gone differently now because I don't, I'm not sure about liberalism anymore either. I'm a, a postmodern traditionalist because Carl said it on my podcast and I've just copied it. You're a postmodern no, traditionalist? No, no, Carl is and I've just copied it. What I am, Winston, is a reactionary satirist. That covers all basis for me. Wow. I heard um, I heard Peter Hitchens say it in his book about uh, Saki, the satirist who died in the war. And I thought, yeah, that's good. That's what I am, a reactionary satirist. Because you don't expect those two to go together. But I was like, yeah, that sounds like what I am. Sorry, you probably like want to disavow me now. Wow. Vote for me, reactionary satirist. <laughs> I know. I know. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't say that out loud again, um, judging by your reaction. Um, I don't know what I am. I'm like you. I don't, I don't want to be pinned down to a label, man. Because I come from, you know, being an artist. Yeah, person. man. Yeah. I'm an individual, man. I've got an MA in literature. I play guitar, not as well as you, but, you know, I'm a, you know. You actually? Yeah, yeah. I've played yeah, my whole life, man. I said it to you. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm in literature. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't talk about it much. Because, you know, why would I? But, <laughs> and it's also, I wasn't that proud Probably of it. Masters. Well, we learn a load of woke stuff. The thing is, now I wish I'd read all these serious political books. Because I've actually just read loads of literature. And now I go, what was all that about? I think it's made me a better writer, and that's about it. But anyway, it's not about me today. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's, part, it's about you, Nick. partly about me. I just wanted to ask then, I'm really interested in this, in this thing about, well, you said that anti-woke people could be as bad at cancellation. I'm not sure, are they as bad? But I have, I've had a little bit of this, where I've had a sort of similar idea, where I've had the Mark Stein fans attacking me, like, why aren't I resigning from GB News and things like this? And I still have them trolling me on emails and stuff. It's very strange. I've never understood their argument. But but you have the kind of purity spiral on one side, don't you? You have the woke side, which is obviously just evil. Then you have the other side where there can be a purity spiral. And you said they were attacking you for apologizing. And, you, and it was, so you've even suggested that the anti-woke side 
are just as bad. Are they just as bad or are they somewhat as bad? Uh, it's a good question. I, I, I think that the same, uh, it's good use of the word, uh, I like the idea of the concept of purity there and the puritanical nature of it. And I do think that the same human uh, conscious, subconscious or, 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 or um, this is some of the same human phenomena at play. And, um, and, and so I see a lot of uh, similarity with the reactionary right and the reactionary left in, in wanting to um, cancel people. But I, I think that it, you, if you looked statistically at, at like the numbers of people who are actually facing professional repercussions, which is how I would define cancellation, uh, it's predominantly, well, it, it, it's coming predominantly from uh, the left, uh, or the, the statistics suggest that, but there might be re other reasons for that. So um, it might be that the that the institutions or the the, the industries that the people are getting cancelled from are predominantly run by the left. If you look at academia, which is probably the main place where people are losing their their jobs um, and their positions, uh, that that is predominantly left uh, wing. Um, uh, uh, so and that's in, in Britain and in America. So st statistically, there's more sort of uh, culprits, uh, sorry, um, uh, victims of, of that sort of behavior. But I, do, I have seen certainly online that um, the, the anti-woke mob are, are happy to kind of, you know, offer the critic, uh, you know, garner scalps as, as the left wing are. And um, uh, so I... I, yeah, I probably, st I don't know if I could rank them, but I, I, I do see that behavior on the right. And is it just a case of fighting fire with fire? I mean, in your recent interview with Matt Walsh, you kind of suggested, as I recall, that he was sort of being a, a bit mean with this Dylan Mulvaney thing, and perhaps you would have gone about it differently. And this is where he was quite aggressive about this weirdo Dylan Mulvaney, and he put out this video that sort of could totally condemn this person quite quite tough terms and some people were saying oh he was too mean other people were saying no, no that's just how we have to win this thing now this question presupposes that there's a culture war and that you might want to win it i mean i asked people this question how do we win the culture war jeff norcott refused to even admit there was a culture war he said that was not a useful framing and i wouldn't put you on my side i wouldn't damn you like that but but is there a culture war how do we win it or is that one of your objectives or do you see it as winnable or do you not see it in those terms uh, well, if you take the Matt Walsh incident, um, it, I, I don't think the, tra the trans thing does, it's massively swept into the culture stuff, but I think it's much bigger than culture. It's, it's you, you know, it's in our, I've just finished reading Hannah Barnes's book, Time to Think About um, Gids and Tavistock, and it's absolutely shocking. The state-sponsored um, uh, abuse of these I call it abuse, I'd see it anything but abuse, I mean, that's putting it nicely, probably, you know, not just puberty blockers, and there's a lot of damage done by puberty blockers, but also uh, uh, cross-sex uh, hormones, and uh, that's before, um, well, that's, that, that was state-sponsored, but then also going into the surgery stuff, and, and it's a deep, this, is, this isn't just a cultural issue, I mean, it, it does come from a f philosophical there's philosophical roots to how we've got to this, and so maybe that's part of the culture. Uh, but I, I, I don't think using the term culture wars is, justifies how serious it has got. 
and you know when we're butchering children that culture war does not justify how how uh, how, how evil this is Sorry to interrupt this conversation with all-around top bloke Winston Marshall, but we have a special offer. If you're trying to lose weight, which I totally am, you need our sponsor, Harry Willis. Harry's guaranteeing that if you work with him, you'll lose five kilograms in your first five weeks, or he'll coach you for free until you do. That's 11 pounds, which is almost a stone. That's mad, five kilograms. And you can find Harry on Instagram, at Harry Willis, Harry underscore Willis, W-I-L-L-I-S, or willis-coaching.com just quote the current thing when you make contact he's also offering a 45 minute free consultation and if you don't know harry by now he's a fitness transformation and health coach he's a writer for the international fitness brand techno gym he'll design a bespoke plan for you with your workouts and diet all sorted he'll work one-on-one with you the whole way and i've seen him get incredible results for our mutual friend adam and i'm actually going to message him myself because frankly i've put on six pounds recently from binge eating ice cream and I need to lose five kilograms. And that's 11 pounds. So I, I want to lose, well, at least a stone. But you can do it with Harry. So make sure you get in touch. Harry underscore Willis on Instagram. Willis-coaching.com. Now back to the show. But I, I think that there are elements where there is culture when it comes to literally the creative industries. And there are different cultures in, uh, against each other. And, and um, so I, I quite like that Jeff Nor- Norcott's position there, that it's, not necessarily a, a, helpful, a helpful term. And I, I, I'm not sure about um, the idea of like winning, a, and maybe this is, this is the sort of attitude that will mean that you definitely don't win, but I, I, winning implies the sides. I, 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 the way I try and understand it is trying to get post it, post-cultural war, post-woke, post-anti-woke. Um, it's, it's what is, what is um, how do we create art again, which, which is, above this where we're unified again I, I don't I don't really see it as winning because if there's we're winning there's losers as well I think we all want to win I think we've got to remember that we all want the same the, I think the vast majority of people want the same thing which is that for everyone to thrive uh, for everyone to um, uh, have meaningful long-lasting healthy lives and and uh, so I want to get I, I like to see it like that and, and try not to get too caught into the cultural war sort of narrative although inevitably i get caught into it a bunch and, and so I'm, I'm i'm sure i'll sound uh, like i'm falling short uh, there yeah i think i'm you're, you're you're a nicer person than me i just want to go scorched earth and win it um <laughs> but yeah but as you say when it comes to things like tavistock the systemic mutilation of children would be a reasonable way to describe it it, it is horrendous when it comes to things like this you can't really be too nice can you you've just got to You've just got to call it what it is. But yeah, I, I take your the point. The problem with Matt Walsh's position, and we disagreed about this in our interview, is that, and it's worth reading what he actually said. And we disagreed very agreeably, by the way. And, and um, I thought he was a very nice man when I met him. Uh, um, he, he doesn't just like say, he like really lays into it. Like it's a long monologue eviscerating this guy, Dylan Mulvaney, on a on a personal level. Now, my opinion is Matt Walsh is such an effective speaker. He could do it with, but just attacking the ideas that Dylan's uh, saying without doing any ad hominem. And I think that actually, if you can do that to the audience, it's more effective. Now on the issue of, of trans, it's such a, uh, an emotive 
topic that is doing such damage, then I can, I also sort of understand why so many people are like, enough is enough. Like what we're doing to children, it's like, fuck this, we need to do something about that. So I sort of sympathize a little bit, although I, I, I'm still not convinced it would be the way to persuade people who, with, who, with whom he disagrees. Yeah, I get that point. Although Dylan Mulvaney has now just done that video where he pretends to be a six-year-old girl and you're just like, this is getting very, very disturbed. But yeah, but it's still, I still take your point. For the optics of it to win over it or to be persuasive, there's no need to perhaps go so aggressive. I understand that. I, I don't mind what he said, but I, I, I totally get that point. Because um, you've got to go at some point fairly soon. I wanted to quickly ask you, you talked about being a Christian and how that helped you when you were cancelled and so on. And I know it's a very horrible time being cancelled. Even on my very minor level, I still couldn't sleep for like three days and couldn't eat. People don't understand because it probably wouldn't bother me as much now if it was that level. But the first time it happens, your body, your body doesn't know how to respond. It's like a fight or flight. So it's a, it's a terrible time. And you said being a Christian helped. And were you already very Christian or did that kind of, did that make you sort of go full on more, you know, further into that? Uh, I'd been a Christian already for uh, a couple of years, uh, maybe a, a year and a, just about a year and a bit. I, you know, I was just speaking about this today. I, I, I have talked about the fact that I'm a Christian and I do that carefully because I'm also conscious that uh, being human, I will, of course, fuck up again. And but in, in publicly saying I'm a Christian, I represent him. And uh, so I, I, I tread very carefully and very, I try and tread lightly uh, because I don't want to misrepresent him. Um, and um, so it's something that uh, there's a plus side too, is, which means that I'm, the, I try, if there's a filter on what I say, it's, it's that it's like, is, does this serve him? Um, now, of course, I'm sure I fall short of this, but when, when it comes to articles I write or interviews or even tweeting, I'm like, does this serve him? I, I do try and ask myself that question, um, but inevitably I'll get that wrong sometimes. The, the reason I did publicly say I was Christian is because it's a very important part of the story to explain why I made certain decisions. I, uh, uh, basically, for me, I, my option was to I was in a position where I was having to go along with a lie, which was that this far-left extremism was good and that it was okay that these people are being killed. I, I really just don't think that. But and that uh, going along with lies is absolutely not something that my conscience can live with. Um, and it's not just going along with it. If you go along with something like that, you sort of become a part of it. So... To, not everyone can understand this because, um, and one thing that's quite interesting is a lot of people, not all, but a lot of people I've met who have been in my sort of situation are people of faith, um, not just Christians, but also Jews and Muslims. And um, I, I imagine, I don't know, but I, I think if this had happened like 10, 20 years ago, it would have been majority atheist. There's, I'm not sure if that's true, but the culture's changed. There's a lot of people of faith now in this situation, and and I don't think that's a coincidence. I think it's because the the put you put something that's higher than you above you, i.e., truth or um, 
a great, just a greater power above you and realizing that these earthly worldly things are just earthly worldly things that will pass and that actually there are things more important. And so um, for, to, to understand that in me, it's that I derive that from, from my faith, from my, my, my belief in Jesus Christ as, as Lord and Savior. So I, I uh, and it's upon that metaphysic which I built my moral structure, which is why I value truth over um, all, all else, I guess. Or much else. Uh, so that's why I talk about that. But I, I, and there's a lengthy uh, answer to your question, but uh, worth giving because it's 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 one I'm, I try and be careful about. It's not one to be taken lightly. No, indeed. And uh, and, yeah, and it gives you the strength to say these things. Yeah, because you're like, well, no, I've got my conscience comes from God. Therefore, well, this is the way I see it. Therefore, how can I possibly lie or go against my conscience? And also, this may sound like ludicrous, but it helps to have the example of Jesus because you think. Well, people are piling on you, Nick. Um, pretty sure they piled on Jesus worse. And, you know, what are you going through? Is it as bad as what he went through? Don't think so. So you've got the ultimate example there. So that is useful for me. Nick, that's the whole point of the story of Christ, the passion of Christ. It's absolutely, it's the ultimate suffering. It's not just the physical suffering, and, and which we know about, you know, the being whipped and, and then having to carry the cross and then crucified. But that... that it was he was hum, humiliated that his mother watched had to watch him through all of that 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 he was betrayed by um, his you know it's not just betrayal it's not just injustice he was innocent as well so it's it's the ultimate story of all of those things which is why by the way Christians have the crucifix as that symbol it's such a gory symbol you know to have a man like that dying or, uh, or on, on, a, on a cross, but it's a reminder that actually he died for us and he died the ultimate death so that, and as you suggest, to lead by example that we might bear our own crosses ourselves in our lives. Yeah, and as you say, it's the worst, it's the worst possible suffering, the highest possible injustice, the best possible person having the worst possible treatment. And on top of all that, he still says, forgive them for they know not what they do. So that's the incredible part. Oh. Have you managed to forgive all the people involved in your cancellation? That's a good question. Um, Sneaky one at the end. You know, I'm still, I'm still. If I'm being totally honest, I'm still, I'm much better than I was. It's been two years, but like, I'm not. I'm still like healing a bit. I, I haven't, you know, fully got there, but I'm, I'm getting there. Yeah, I, I, I've forgiven lots of people in my life, but I'm not sure if people who've piled on me. There are still a few people from that who, yeah, I'm certainly not close to even starting to forgive. So it's more like a sort of total war state. So, yeah, you know, I mean, and people always try and do this. Oh, you're a Christian, you should do this and that. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm certainly not judging you for that. Um, all right. No, uh, you're right. I should. I should. I, that's the example. Yeah, it is that's the example. I'm, but we, that's something I need to uh, do. Well, I'm not going to have a pop at you for not being quite Are as perfect Christian, as Jesus. Are you a Christian? Yeah. But I say I am, but then I get worried, like, people, you know, I'm not living up to it. I don't go to church enough. I'm, someone just invited me to a new one, so I am going to go. But, you know, yeah, I am, definitely. And how has how is your faith uh, guided you through these these uh, choppy waters? Well, like I say, for me, it's just this idea that how can I possibly not tell the truth or, or go against my conscience, you know, and it's that example of Jesus when you're getting, when you're self-pitying or when you think you're being attacked. And it's just there. And, and also it helps to 
when you remember to have gratitude and just do your do your prayers you know just, the, just sticking doing those basics is also very helpful but yeah it just mm. it is it does guide me i think i've already been someone who always just has to tell the truth and be myself and but it also it helps remind you of that and it means that just there's no way you can possibly go against it though i do always think i'm not a good enough christian and i'm a awful person and all this kind of thing all the time as well i provocatively put out a question on twitter at one point is it more important to be a cultural or a spiritual christian which i think is an interesting question have you ever thought about that because you have the spiritual ones who have the belief but they're sort of politically naive they may even be sort of woke and then you've got the cultural christians someone like douglas murray and they're very on it with politics but they don't actually have the belief part have you ever thought about that well it's a good question, but I would say, or I would, I don't know the answer, but um, I would suggest maybe that this examination of what it is to be a Christian, by, by their fruits you shall know them. And so um, anyone who says they're a Christian, what is it to be a Christian? Well, it's to be like Christ. And how does, how does is one like Christ? Well, it's, it's, you can tell by their fruits. So whether it's better to be cultural or spiritual, it sort of depends on what the, what the fruit is. Yeah, I think you have to be both, but it was just a, a fun poll question. Because you've got to go, last question, because you're a musician, what is your favourite band ever and why is it the Beach Boys? I just threw in the... I just threw in, they're I my favourite. I'm, I'm now... You've got me thinking. I'm not sure whether I stand by my answer to that last question. Oh, okay. Because... Um, what did you say on the last question? That you have to be... Know them by, by the, your, fruits. the fruits. Yeah, but I'm not sure I actually agree with that because... If you if you proclaim if you believe if you really believe, I I I'm not equipped to get into the theology on this. No, well neither am I, and that's why I sometimes say, "Oh, I'm not a proper Christian." But um, right. I'm just conscious that you've got to go. So otherwise, I'd I'd tell you about Christianity for for ages. But do you have a favorite uh, band or anything? Because I, I just think like, we're so tied up in politics now that music is kind of your main, you know, is your has been your life. Mm-hmm. What's the question? Do you have a favorite band, or do you are you working on musical projects? Is another question. I am working on musical projects. Uh, I'm sitting on some songs and working with a great person. I actually, I mean, I went to an incredible gig recently. Uh, it was in, I was in New York last month and it was um, Skrillex, Fred again and Fortet at Madison Square Garden. And they played for five hours, uh, very low production, but, you know, amazing lights and, and uh, in, the, in the round. It was a last-minute show, and I, da- I, you know, I'm, I'm sober, but I danced like I was a teenager for hours. I just complete abandoned to the music, and it reminded me, as I said, of of the, my love for music when I was a teenager. It really, I found it really inspiring. Uh, so um, since then, I've been listening to those those guys. They're absolutely superb. But to be honest, most of the time I'm listening. I, I've got ever since the pandemic, I've got deep into classical stuff and um a lot of italian opera a lot of verdi um so uh, uh actually i went to turin dot last week which was superb at the royal opera house i'm turning into an adult yeah it's orcs. so super orcs what are you listening to oh i listen to everything it's, it's kind of ridiculous i mean I, like i said my favorite band of all time is the beach boys always will be but i'll also listen to you know everything i'll listen to obscure palace brothers b-sides i'll listen to Mariah Carey, my music, because I genuinely love music. Music, by the way, is the best thing. This is why it's amazing that you're a musician. It's the best thing. It's like an Alan Partridge question. What is the best thing 
music to me is, is the best thing there is in in life. I have to say it without hesitation. So I listen to I listen I just love absolutely all music, which sounds which is what people who don't care about music say and what people who really love it say. So, yeah. yeah. But all right. Um, thanks so much. I know you've got to go. Is there anything you want to quickly plug, or or where can people find you? Yes, um, you can listen to my podcast, Martial Matters, all usual podcast outlets and YouTube. It's with The Spectator. And I have a Substack. Winston Marshall is my Substack. And I'm on Twitter, Mr. Win Marshall, and Instagram, Winston Marshall, and all the social media. And uh, various music gigs coming up and uh, talking events. And uh, you'll find all of that uh, on the social media stuff. So, yeah. Uh, Nick, thank you so much for your... Um, interview and um, I think I babbled through and, and made very little sense but uh, nah. hopefully there's something there. that's just you being self-deprecating it was great thanks so much mate um, great well I'll see you around I hope. yeah see you soon alright that was Winston very interesting episode I thought let me know what you thought he's clearly a legend and also a deep thinker you can tell I particularly like the section on Christianity maybe I would say that let me know what you thought and please like share subscribe all those things. It takes a few seconds to leave a five-star review, and I greatly appreciated it. Tell a friend if you like the podcast. That's how we grow. We're doing well. We've started very well, but we can always do better. So please do that. And if you do write a review, I may well read it on the show. And I'd like to read a couple now. One from Colin of Stoke says, A gem. Funny and honest. Nick makes me feel I'm not going mad after all. And that's great. If you can make someone feel that like they're not going mad, I'm happy to provide that service. But I know what he means in this ridiculous culture we're in. Sparrow Fields says, great show. This is an excellent podcast for anyone who is tired of the wokest thought police. Absolutely. Peter DeLeeds, honest and insightful. The formula here is deceptively simple. Nick listens to and then, crucially, responds to his interviewees, thus taking the topic to even more interesting areas. Compare with the mainstream banal formula where each short, superficial interview builds a set of, a set of questions sounding more like statements. Yeah, I mean, it's a low bar, isn't it, these days, guys? Imagine that just listening is a big deal. But, you know, he's right. That's where we are. So thank you for all your reviews. And, we, and we've had some great comments as well. This is on the Podbean app. Someone's put, um, Jiggy says, another good one. And great to hear Francis sounding relaxed, articulate, and considered top work. That's, of course, the episode with Francis Foster. And this one may be my favorite. Richard Jones says, excellent show, mate. Started sharing with my mates. Hopefully they listen, but they are arseholes. <laughs> that is always the problem when your mates are arseholes. But please do tell your friends whether they're arseholes or not. Actually, if they really are arseholes, maybe not. But tell your good friends. And hopefully we'll get them listening to the podcast. And we'll see you again next time.